O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. Make haste, O God, to deliver me. Make haste to help me, O Lord. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Alleluia. The True God, One in Three, and Three in One. O come, let us worship Him. O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before His presence with thanksgiving, and make a joyful noise unto Him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God, and a great King above all gods. In His hand are the deep places of the earth, the strength of the hills is His also. It is His, and He made it, and His hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down, let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost. As it was in the beginning, Never shall be world without end. Amen. The true God, one in three and three in one. O come, let us worship him.
Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me, and answer me. Thou hast been my help. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path because of mine enemies. Deliver me not over unto the will of mine enemies, for false witnesses are risen up against me, and such as breathe out cruelty. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me, and answer me. Thou hast been my help. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. The Old Testament lesson for this fifth Sunday after Trinity is written in the 19th chapter of the first book of the Kings, beginning at the 11th verse. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. Behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake a fire passed, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire there was a still, small voice. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle, went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Behold, a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of armies. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. The Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. Anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, to be the king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, to be prophet in your place. He who escapes from the sword of Haziel, Jehu will kill. And he who escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Yet I reserved seven thousand in Israel, all the knees of which have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth which has not kissed him. So he departed from there, and found Elisha the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him, and he with the twelfth. Elijah went over to him, and put his mantle on him. Elisha left the oxen, and ran after Elijah, and said, Let me please kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. He said to him, Go back, for what have I done to you? He returned from following him, and took the yoke of oxen, and killed them, and boiled their meat with the instruments of the oxen, and gave to the people, and they ate. Then he arose, and went after Elijah, and served him. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Thanks be to God. The epistle is written in the third chapter of the first epistle of St. Peter, beginning at the eighth verse. Brothers, finally, all of you, be like-minded, compassionate, loving as brothers, tender-hearted, courteous, not rendering evil for evil or insult for insult, but instead blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. For 
He who would love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, who will harm you if you become imitators of that which is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. Don't fear what they fear, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Always be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks you a reason concerning the hope that is in you, with humility and fear. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Thanks be to God. Behold, O God, our shield, and look upon the face of thine anointed. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. Alleluia, the king shall joy in thy strength, O Lord, and in thy salvation how greatly shall he rejoice. Alleluia. The Holy Gospel is according to St. Luke, the fifth chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. Now, while the multitude pressed on Jesus and heard the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. He saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. He entered into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. He sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep, and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered him, Master, we worked all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the net. When they had done this, they caught a great multitude of fish, and their net was breaking. They beckoned to their partners in the other boat that they should come and help them. They came and filled the boats, so that they began to sink. But Simon Peter, when he saw it, fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, Lord. For he was amazed, and all who were with him, at the catch of fish which they had caught. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Jesus said to him, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching people alive. When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Here end the gospel. Praise be to thee, O Christ. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Lord, I have loved the habitation of thy house and the place where thine honor dwelleth. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Evangelism. Evangelism is the sharing of the Word of God with others. And to many of us, it can be a very scary thing. And we know that, every church knows that, because it's always hard to get someone to volunteer for the evangelism committees. And almost as hard as find someone to volunteer for the stewardship chair. And along with that, evangelism is also hard work. You can ask our evangelism committee here at Christ the King, who stressed over putting on a conference to teach the scriptures to our people during these uh, culture wars. 
Evangelism is intimidating. And there's a reason why. If we bring up Jesus to our unbelieving parents or children or friends or neighbors, some of whom might be of a different religion, we run the risk of ruining those relationships or maybe even being scolded or yelled at, even mocked. Being rejected isn't easy. It hurts. And any evangelism guarantees there will be rejection and persecution. But we evangelize because our Lord commanded us to do it. At the Great Commission, he told us to go catechize and baptize the world over to make disciples. So we set out to evangelize, even if it's reluctantly. And for some, that's what makes evangelism programs so enticing. Because they promise to take the pressures of evangelism off of us, by putting it instead on a guaranteed program. So when there's pressures to evangelize, all of a sudden Rick Warren and the purpose-driven life begins to look enticing. So does Billy Graham and his crusades and his altar calls. So does the program or the multiple programs that ask everyone, if you die today, do you know where you'll go? There are many programs built around that question. But all such programs, they tend to miss the mark. They still bring with them rejection, even if they guarantee otherwise. There will still be persecution. And many of them, while they may get people to think, they don't necessarily prepare people to meet Christ. Instead, they at best bring people into the presence of Christ, much like Peter was brought into the presence of Christ in our gospel this morning, completely caught off guard, unprepared, and saying, Depart from me, O Lord, for I am a sinful man. When people think they are being brought into the hands of an angry God, when all they hear is God's law, it's not going to bring people into church or keep them there. Because if you think you are not in harmony with God, if you think you don't have his sympathy or his compassion, you won't stay where God is because you think you're going to die. And so, depart from me, like what Peter says, will also be the words off others' trembling lips. But this morning, in our readings, the same St. Peter, which trembled in the boat where Christ stood before him, also tells us Christians, or us baptized Christians, how we ought to evangelize to those on the outside. And Peter says we do that by loving those on the inside, by loving those who are in the house of God with us, our brothers in the faith. And oddly, speaking of God's law, Oddly, Peter teaches us how to evangelize by giving us rules, that is, laws to live by in the house of God. So Peter begins by saying, finally, all of you, all of you meaning the church, have unity of mind, that is, live in harmony with each other. Have sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. So Peter's first law, what he expects from the house of God, the church, is this. Love your brothers, your baptized brothers, even if and when they hate you and revile you. Still, even then, Peter says, love your brothers. And how are we to love our brothers? Well, Peter says, by having a unity of mind with them, that is, living in harmony with them, not necessarily agreeing on every little opinion, but being able to live in harmony always seeking peace with them, having sympathy for them, that is, listening to them in their trials and struggles and understanding where they're coming from. 
He also says loving them in brotherly love, that is, love the baptized brothers as family, because the blood that unites you to those in the church is thicker than the blood that unites you even to your own family. So Peter says also love them, loving them also means having a tender heart towards them. And the Greek here is a very interesting, strong word. It's not really tender hearted. It's kind of that, but it's also, it means inside yourself, in your gut, you allow yourself to feel what your brother feels. So if your brother brother's heart drops from the stresses of poverty or death, your heart drops as well. If their heart jumps and rejoices from the blessing of marriage or childbirth, your heart jumps as well. The Greek word here means whatever blessings or burdens each of you carry, we carry them together to the point of feeling it together in our gut, in our hearts. And this law of loving the brothers means also being humble, never considering yourself the greatest among the brethren or competing to be the greatest, but it means considering yourself as the greatest sinner and the least of all the brothers and always being at the brother's service. Now, the world knows some about this. The world knows to live in harmony in a certain ideology or religion. The world knows how to have sympathy at times. It knows to love as brothers and be tender-hearted, but it doesn't know any of this in humility. The lesson of the world is you love those who love you and hate those who hate you, and you seek revenge on those who do you wrong. Sometimes seeking revenge is making tit for tat. Sometimes it means cutting those out of your life who hate you because, as many say, you don't need that kind of negativity in your life. So no matter how much they succeed or suffer, those who hate you, no matter how much those who hate you succeed or suffer, it doesn't matter to you because they're dead to you. That's what it means to cut them out of your life. That's the way of the world, the way of our flesh, to do good only to those who do good to us and to hate those who hate us, to cancel those even who hate us. And St. Peter in our gospel, when he's in the boat, that's what he's afraid of. St. Peter knows how great of a sinner he is. He knows how greatly he has sinned against the Lord. He knows that he is a sinner among sinners, that he is a part of a people of unclean lips. And Peter knows here only the way of the world. That's why he's afraid. The only way he knows is the way of the world. So if he's done great evil against God, in the boat there, he expects to be repaid evil for evil. He expects to die being in the presence of God because he knows how great of a sinner he is. Peter knows being in the presence of God, he deserves only death. In the gospel, that's why he's afraid. But in the epistle, years later, according to Peter, the way of the world is not to be the law of the church. Instead, he says in the epistle, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Peter says that when someone wrongs you in the church, if someone hates you and reviles you among the brothers, not to seek revenge. He says not to yell back, not to lecture back, not to get up and leave that congregation and join another one. Because after all, if we each left a church because of, of the sinners that were there, we'd never find a church to stay in. 
And leaving a church just because someone has wronged us is the exact opposite of loving those who hate us, that Peter's saying here, and it's the exact opposite of evangelism. Instead, Peter says, to bless those who in the church do evil to you and revile you. He says to bless them. So if a brother hates you, you ought to respond by loving them, by seeking peace with them, having sympathy for them, loving them as a brother with a tender heart and humility. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. That's the first law of living in the church. Love your brother and stay with him even when he hates you. And then Peter gets to the second law of living in the church. When he quotes from Psalm 34, saying, Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Peter says not only should we not seek revenge on the brother who does evil to us, but also at the same time we should keep our tongue from evil and lying, that we should turn away from evil and seek peace. And we know that. That's the Eighth Commandment, right? The second law of the church is the Eighth Commandment. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. In other words, keep that tongue of yours in check. Speak well of your brother in love, always giving him the benefit of the doubt. And so those are the two laws Peter gives here for living in the church. Love your brother even when he hates you and watch your tongue. And really through both of those, what Peter is saying is always seek peace with your brothers. Seek peace. That's what it's all about. Seek peace. And from all this, Peter then says, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And all of it sounds great, doesn't it? But it leaves us here with two very important questions. First, how does all this relate to evangelism? And second, what we'll get to right now is, who here is Peter really describing? Who does this? Who has unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind? Who has kept his tongue from evil and lying? Who here has sought peace all the time? Because we know our sin, we know our flesh. Our flesh doesn't care for unity, it wants pride. It wants to be loved without loving back. Our flesh does not have a tender heart, but a heart of stone towards others. Our flesh loves when our tongue judges and lies and gossips and puts others down, so we can be raised up instead. If the face of the Lord is against those who do evil, then we on our own are in trouble. Because on our own, we never seek peace. On our own, we're like Peter in that boat, trembling, saying to Jesus, depart from me. What Peter describes here, though, is not us in our sin, but Christ in his righteousness. It is Christ who became incarnate among the dark world who hates him. It was Christ who had sympathy for us, who were helpless on our own, who joined us under the law, who had a tender heart for us as he was baptized with us, counted with us sinners as he took our sins and hopelessness from us. 
It was Christ who humbled himself by taking our flesh and our sin and then going to the cross to hang there in our stead, never uttering evil or a lie as he took our place there on the cross for us. And see what Christ did. As they drove the nails through his hands and his feet, as they lifted him up on the cross, as they gave him vinegar and gall to drink, as they blasphemed him as he was dying, still he didn't repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. On the contrary, he blessed them by praying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Even as he hung there, dying, dying at their hands, he sought peace for them. And dying, he earned peace for them and for us. God loved us so that he sent his son to die for us, to forgive us. That is, to give peace between him and you in the death of his son. And we know this to be true because at the resurrection, the first words that Jesus spoke to his apostles were, Peace to you. As if he were saying, I give peace to you with God the Father. Words that he repeats to them again and again after his resurrection. And this is the same peace that Jesus gives to you when you are told to depart in peace at the rail. Or when you're given the blessing at the end of the service. That's God giving his peace to you in the benediction. So never leave the service before the benediction. Because that peace in the benediction is given to you in the final blessing. For you to take with you as you leave. That's yours from God. Stay for it. You are baptized in this peace. At the altar, Jesus tells you, just as he told Peter, do not be afraid. Because in his body and blood, he is giving you peace. Just as in the flesh and blood, he gave Peter peace there in the boat. Peter finishes our epistle saying, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Understand here, what Peter describes in these laws of living in the church, the laws of loving your brother even when he hates you, and controlling your tongue, really the laws of always seeking peace. They are not laws in the sense that you do them to earn forgiveness. Rather, you are baptized into this peace, in peace, in the peace of Christ. This is now your new nature. It's the law of the gospel which now reigns over you. It's your new nature in the gospel. It is the nature of Christ that now lives in you. And it is this nature which loves even when hated, which controls the tongue, which always seeks peace. And always seeking peace means always seeking forgiveness at every cost with our brothers. And we asked before, how does this relate to evangelism? Well, Peter answers it right here, doesn't he? The best evangelism is the love of God shown in peace among the brothers. It's shown in peace in the church. We seek peace with each other by always seeking forgiveness in Christ with each other. Our peace is the forgiveness of Christ which binds us together. 
It's the peace that we partake of at this altar. As we heard, the laws of the church are vastly different from the laws of the world, from the nature of the world, the world that seeks pride and revenge, but instead it's the nature of those in the church to seek humility, peace, forgiveness. So when those on the outside see that we live in peace, when those on the outside see that we seek peace even when we wrong each other, it will force them to ask, why? Why would you love or watch your tongues and have hope when others do evil against us, even those closest to us do evil against us? And when they ask us that question, we can then answer, we love because Christ first loved us. We seek peace with those who hate because Christ earned peace for us when we hated him. That's our answer. We seek peace because Christ sought peace even when he was hated. And when those outside see the peace that we have inside the church, and when they desire it, then, my brothers, there is no better evangelism, and no program can replicate that peace. Only Christ can give it, and only in Christ can we live in it. And that is the peace of which we partake of at the altar as one. So come to church, come eat, come drink, in peace. Amen. Now may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding keep, the, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.
lookest upon thee to deliver me when didst humble thyself to be born of a virgin and thou hadst overcome the sharpness of death thou didst open the kingdom of heaven to all believers thou sittest at the right hand of God mercy upon us. O Christ, have mercy upon us. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. O God, who has prepared for them that love you such good things as surpass man's understanding, pour into our hearts such love toward you, that we, loving you above all things, may obtain your promises, which exceed all that we can desire. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, ever one God, world without end. Amen. Almighty and most merciful God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we give you thanks for all your goodness and tender mercies, especially for the gift of your dear Son and for the revelation of your will and grace. And we beseech you, so to implant your word in us that, in good and honest hearts, we may keep it and bring forth the fruits of faith by patient continuance and well-doing. 
most heartily we beseech you so to rule and govern your church Catholic, with all her pastors and ministers, that we may be preserved in the pure doctrine of your saving word, whereby faith toward you may be strengthened, love and charity increased in us toward all mankind, and your kingdom extended. Send forth laborers into your harvest, and sustain those whom you have sent, that the word of reconciliation may be proclaimed to all people, and the gospel preached in all the world. Grant health and prosperity to all who are in authority, especially to Joseph, our President, the Congress of these United States, Kim, our Governor, the Legislature of this State, and to all our judges and magistrates, and endue them with grace to rule after your good pleasure, to the maintenance of righteousness, and to the hindrance and punishment of wickedness, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. May it please you also to turn the hearts of our enemies and adversaries, that they may cease their enmity and hostilities, and be inclined to walk with us in meekness and in peace. All who are in trouble, want, sickness, anguish of labor, peril of death, or any other adversity, especially those who are in suffering for your name's sake, comfort, O God, with your Holy Spirit that they may receive and acknowledge their afflictions as the manifestation of your fatherly will. Especially do we pray for those that we name in our hearts at this time. Although we have deserved your righteous wrath and manifold punishments, yet we entreat you, O most merciful Father, Remember not the sins of our youth, nor our many transgressions. But out of your unspeakable goodness, grace, and mercy, defend us from all harm and danger of body and soul. Preserve us from false and pernicious doctrine, from war and bloodshed, from plague and pestilence, from all calamity by fire and water, from hail and tempest, from failure of harvest and from famine, from anguish of heart and despair of your mercy, and from an evil death. And in every time of trouble, show yourself a very present help, the Savior of all men, and especially of them that believe. Cause all needed fruits of the earth to prosper, that we may enjoy them in due season. Give success to the Christian training of the young, to all lawful occupations on land, sea, and air, and to all pure arts and useful knowledge, and crown them with your blessing. Receive, O God, our bodies and souls and all our talents, together with the offerings we bring before you. For by his blood your Son has purchased us to be your own, that we may live under him in his kingdom. As we are strangers and pilgrims on earth, help us by true faith and a godly life to prepare for the world to come, doing the work you have given us to do while it is day, before the night comes when no one can work. And when our last hour shall come, support us by your power and receive us into your everlasting kingdom. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, Almighty and everlasting God, who has safely brought us to the beginning of this day, defend us in the same with thy mighty power and grant that this day we fall into no sin, neither run into any kind of danger, but that all our doings, being ordered by thy governance, may be righteous in thy sight. Through Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee and the Holy Ghost, ever one God, world without end. 
Amen. Let my mouth be filled with thy praise and with thy honor all the day. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, almighty and everlasting God, who has safely brought us to the beginning of this day, defend us in the same with thy mighty power, and grant that this day we fall into no sin, neither run into any kind of danger, but that all our doings, being ordered by thy governance, may be righteous in thy sight. Through the same Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee and the Holy Ghost, ever one God, world without end. Amen. We give thanks unto thee, Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, thy dear Son, that thou hast protected us through the night from all danger and harm. And we beseech thee to preserve and keep us this day also from all sin and evil, that in all our thoughts, words, and deeds we may serve and please thee. Into thy hands we commend our bodies and our souls and all that is ours. Let thy holy angel have charge concerning us, that the wicked one have no power over us. Amen. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come unto thee. Bless we the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit, be with us all. Amen.